Amen and amen. So uh, tonight I want us to look at chapter 14 here in the book of Romans and, and look at how we help a weaker uh, brother. How we help a weaker brother. Now, um, there's going to be different times where uh, we're going to look at a few different things here in this portion of Scripture, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to get through this chapter. So let's look at verse number 1, uh, right out of the gate. Verse number 1, chapter 14, and it says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now just stop right here, um, and I want to just, I want to ready our hearts and minds for just a moment here. Uh, there is a deeper and a greater understanding for us here in the text than just those who are vegans and those who eat meat. Uh, so I want us to not miss something here uh, in Scripture. Don't, don't overlook because he's using uh, food um, as the means to communicate what God has for us. Now, we are to accept those who are weak in the faith, but not for the sake of carrying on a debate with them uh, regarding doubtful things that Paul talks about, right? He says, receive the one who is weak in the faith. Now, these are words that a Christian is supposed to take very seriously. Paul is warning us here as a church uh, to not make spiritual maturity a requirement for fellowship, uh, not make spiritual maturity a requirement for fellowship. We should distinguish uh, between someone who is weak and someone who is rebellious. Those are two different things. And there are many reasons why a Christian might be weak. Uh, they may be uh, a babe in Christ or, or uh, someone who is new to the faith. Uh, they may be sick or diseased. And when I mean sick and diseased, I mean one who's dealing with or battling legalism. Uh, we may see one who is malnourished meaning that they lack good teaching um, or leadership in their church context. But we also may see uh, a believer who is weak that lacks exercise, meaning they need exhortation to grow in their walk. They know the truth, they're just not being obedient to it. And these are all reasons that we would see why a Christian would be quote-unquote labeled as a brother who is weaker in the faith than we are. Now, as an example uh, of what Paul is talking about here, he looks at those who refuse to eat meat for spiritual reasons. Now, perhaps the Jews uh, and even the Gentiles in which he is writing to at this point uh, refused uh, to eat meat because they feared that it was meat that was sacrificed to pagan gods, as we were to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 18. But there's also the, the, the point that they, they could perhaps refused to be eating that meat because it wasn't what they would have seen as kosher or uh, that they were stuck in their Jewish dietary regulations and traditions because some Christians saw nothing wrong in the meat and others saw much wrong. It was a burning issue amongst the believers in that day. It was an issue of contention. And while the issue of not eating meat for spiritual reason is no longer directly relevant to us today... Um, there, there was plenty of issues where some believers believed one way and other believers believed differently. Uh, what are some of those, what are some of those, and we're not going to debate them tonight, but what are some of those things in the church still today? Yeah, Kelly. I'm sorry, you said dance? Like whether or not we should dance, okay? You said alcohol. Uh, what was the last one? I said marijuana. <laughs> marijuana. Uh. 
Um, I'm sorry? Baptism, okay. What was in I heard music, okay. Uh, what else? What else are there differing opinions? Yeah, Kim, go ahead. Clothing. So when you say clothing, what do you mean by that? Sure. Head head coverings. Yeah, the difference, the different views of what is immodest, the different views of immodesty. What did you say? Did you say everything? Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I mean, there there are so many there are so many issues that we we still see. In the church, I was actually talking to someone earlier today. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial, right? And so we should ask ourselves, especially when it pertains to issues like so, um, it may be lawful, it may not be explicitly prohibited in the Bible, but is it beneficial in my relationship with the Lord? And if we can answer, rightly answer no, then I would just recommend as, not just as your pastor, but as a fellow brother in Christ, don't do it. <laughs> don't, if you can say, no, this is not beneficial to my walk, then don't, just avoid it. That's my, that's my rabbit trail for the night. You know, Paul has in mind, yeah, someone raise their hand. Sure, and we're going to address, thank you for bringing that up. We're going to address that tonight. You know, we don't want to be a stumbling block for another brother or sister in Christ. And Paul addresses that here in chapter 14. So thank you uh, for pointing that out. I appreciate it. You know, in, in Paul's mind, the weak brother or the one in weaker faith is the strict, the more strict individual in their life. That, that's what Paul is saying. It wasn't that they were weaker in their Christian life, as in, in their relationship with the Lord, because of what they ate or they didn't. It's that they were weaker because of their legalistic attitude and their lack of love towards other people's views. doesn't mean that they have to agree. Un undoubtedly here in Scripture that the weak one did not see themselves as weaker. And in fact, they probably saw themselves as closer to God. Oh, we, we do all the right things. Like, hold on, uh, let me look down my nose at you. That, that, that's what Paul was saying. He, he was not saying necessarily weaker physically. It's, it's likely that they thought that they were the strong ones and that the meat eaters were actually the weak ones. And so legalism, um, I, I don't know if any of you have ever come out of a, a, a church uh, of legalism. Uh, but I grew up in a very legalistic church. It was all about check marks and everything that you did was sending you to hell. Um, there, was no, there was never any grace uh, for anything at all. Um, and legalism has, uh, has a way of making us think that we are strong and those who don't keep the rules are weak. That's what legalism does. That, that's what the Pharisees did. That's why the Pharisees said that, that Christ got his power from Satan because it didn't look the way that they had it laid out in the rules. And so look at verse number three because Paul's going to begin to cover how judging our brother is inappropriate because uh, we're not their master. So look at what he says. He says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. In verse four, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? 
It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, it would be easier in, in this life for a Christian who felt free to eat meat to despise others uh, as hopeless legalists. It would also be easy for those who did not eat meat to judge those who did eat meat or did something that was different than them. But God has received those Christians who eat meat just as much as he received the one who refrained. And we, we've already seen this in, in Scripture all throughout the book of Romans where you see that God accepts the Jew and the Gentile. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter at times our, our preferences. God receives, God receives both. Now, there is a lot of useless, harmful division among Christians over silly things. Would you agree with me? Over silly things silly things and Paul isn't telling the Christians to erase their differences here it's not what he's saying he's telling them to rise above those differences as Christian brothers and sisters rise above them he's calling them to a higher level of Christianity and fellowship than what they once thought that they were walking in so now look look at at verse number five he says, one person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, uh, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now just stop right there for just a moment, because... Um, by bringing in the aspect of the, obser uh, the observation of certain days, Paul is letting us know that he's talking more about principles than he is specific in the Bible. What he says has application, and this is what I, what I stated at the very beginning, what, what Paul is saying to us has application to more than just eating meat or not eating meat. He's saying, let every man be fully convinced in his own mind, meaning that in such issues, Paul is willing to leave it up to the conscience of the individual if it's not explicitly stated one way or the other. But whatever we do, we must be able to do it for the Lord or to the Lord, not using conscience as an excuse for obvious sinful behavior. Like meaning that we live and we die unto the Lord. We live and we die. Every action, every word that we speak is to live and die unto the Lord. So look at verse number 7. He says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we die or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Verse number 9, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now, we, we must understand tonight that from beginning to end of our life is connected to other people's lives. From the beginning to the end. And Paul reminds the, the Christians here in, in the church of Rome, that no man is to be an island unto himself. 
That's what he's, he's talking about, how we are connected to other people. So from beginning to end, our lives are to be dedicated to God and all of God's creation in that. That doesn't mean we worship God's creation. That's a vastly different thing. But Paul is talking about how we are connected to all of God's creation because all human beings are created in the image of God. And so whatever we do in this life, whether that's, whether that's uh, marriage in a family, whether that's working a job, or that's discipleship, or that's worshiping the Lord on a Sunday together in fellowship uh, here in church, or whether that's having a small group in your home, whatever it is that we do, we do it to the Lord, because Jesus is Lord of the Christians. And so judging our brother is inappropriate because we will all face judgment one day before Christ. Now, I'm going to tackle in, in just a few moments uh, what Scripture says of, uh, of the whole argument, you know, to judge, not to judge. Uh, so just give me a minute because I'm going to get there. But look with me at verse number 10. He says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, probably the, the use of the word judge and in what the original context here is to show contempt have the same application of being strict, but also being free individuals to choose. So we should have a, a strict understanding of God's word and adhere to those boundaries, but yet we still have a free choice to not adhere to those boundaries, is what Paul is saying. And so in either case... Uh, the attitude is wrong because we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So it doesn't, he, he's saying that the attitude is wrong to judge your brother based on something that is not explicitly stated as sinful behavior. And so the, the strict Christian finds it easy to judge his brother, writing him off as an unspiritual meat eater and compromiser of his faith, where the free Christian... Is, is finding it easy to show contempt against his brother regarding and, and holding him as an uptight legalist who doesn't truly love God. <laughs> Amen, right? But Paul is saying, stop worrying about your brother. Stop worrying about your brother. You have enough. I have enough to answer to Christ in that day. I don't have to answer for somebody else. And so Christians hear... Often, um, I, I've talked to, I don't know how many people, and I, I don't know how, how many of you others out there have ever heard this phrase, like Christians are not to judge. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Right? And we love, we love to throw out a portion of the scripture when we say, judge not lest you be judged. Right? Um, and we love to just toss it around um, all willy-nilly. Um, and we completely disregard the context of of what was being spoken and and then it's like well are christians to judge other christians what does the bible actually teach about judgment and so i'm here to explain a couple of things hopefully um to us tonight uh about what it says now the the apostle paul uh said both things christians are not to judge christians and christians are 
to judge other Christians. He said both things, in fact, in the same book, in 1 Corinthians, uh, really just a few uh, paragraphs away from each other. And he says this in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. He says, therefore, do not pr- pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. That's what Paul said in in chapter number four. You get a paragraph or two later, and this next verse pertain, or this next one pertains to judging other Christians. In chapter five, he says, For what have I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church that we are to judge? And so, is Paul contradicting himself in one chapter saying, Do not judge before the time has come? And aren't we to judge? Is Paul contradicting himself? No, he's not. Paul is not contradicting himself. He's simply instructing us that there are things that we must not judge, but then there are things that we must judge, right? And so these verses here that I just read to you uh, instruct us that we as believers are not to judge the hidden purposes of man's heart. To, to judge the hidden purposes of man's heart. And so uh, we, we shouldn't judge Christians based on their decisions, their actions, their perspectives, their words, or even their personality. Now, hold on a second. Let me finish this. That concern us if those things themselves are not explicitly sinful. Are you guys tracking with me so far? So if someone makes a decision and that decision is not explicitly stated in Scripture as being sinful, then Christ is telling us we should not judge. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah, so there are things in Scripture that ex- are explicitly saying, and I'll address, I'll address the whole uh, women ministry thing here in a moment. Um, there are things explicitly stated in the Bible, like, I'll just give some examples. Uh, lying is wrong. Deceit is wrong. Uh, homosexuality listed in the Bible. Sexual impurity. Lust. Anger. Right? These are all things that are explicit, and then the list goes on. That was not an all-inclusive list, just so you know. Um, and the list goes on. When it comes to, and, and I'm going to make a, a very generalized statement for just a moment. Um, as believers, we should look at the Bible as black and white as we possibly can because the more gray area that we attempt to find in the Bible, the more sinfulness that occurs in our lives. Just making a generalized statement. So, in that specific topic, that is addressed in 1 Timothy chapter 3. When we get uh, the characteristics of biblical leadership for the elder uh, or the overseer, which is a, a generalized term that is used in replace of uh, the pastor, it's also the same list that's given to the deacon. All right, and one of the the top things in that list is says to be a husband of one wife. It's one of the very first things. If you've ever read First Timothy chapter three, that's where it's found. Now, there's two statements I want to make to you. The Wesleyan Church believes that women can be in leadership positions. Uh, they take a very, very, very firm stance, and they have for a very long time. I'll explain to you why. Uh, one, 
uh, we have been taught for a very long time a misinterpreted version of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Wallace Titus is another place that addresses it. One and only one. The reason why Paul made the statement that he did when talking to Timothy was because Timothy was preaching in a church that had women leaders who were leading men astray. They were, uh, they were leading men to, uh, to explicitly um, exploit their bodies and the bodies of other people in idol worship, in occult practices. And it was, it was women who were doing that. And it's the same reason why he uh, addressed women in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, uh, where it says that a woman is not permitted to teach um, or, or to be essentially addre- address uh, the church or, or to speak in, in public spaces. It's the same reason. Now, on top of that, um, the same pronoun that is used in 1 Timothy for man is the exact same pronoun that we would be given for women in 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 the Bible times. It was used interchangeably. Uh, It wasn't gender specific in that specific portion of scripture. And so uh, we also know from scripture that there were several women who were used in the early church to start churches in their homes. In fact, there are specific women who are named uh, to be those that were in positions of biblical leadership. Timothy's mother and grandmother were two of those women who were explicitly stated. And so from all of those scriptures, we know biblically speaking that God does not favor man in positions of leadership over women, that he can use both. And I I believe, and and this is my my opinion at the moment, right? This comes from second opinions um, in the Josh version of the Bible. Um, My opinion is that there there are some things that women are gifted way better than men at doing. Um, My wife is definitely gifted in ways that I don't think that I could ever be gifted in. And if I tried, I would probably fail very, very badly. Um, But I'm gifted in ways that my wife will never be gifted. And that's why I believe that um, ministry is more about partnership than it is who's got the bigger role or the higher title. Um, And that's just, those are just my thoughts. So, anyone have anything they would like? Yeah. I didn't explicitly state that ministry. Well, that's how rumors start. That's how gossip starts. Yeah. Sure. 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 Yeah, go ahead. 
Sure. Yeah. The, the Corinthian church was a disaster in Bible times. A complete disaster. In fact, uh, the women who were leading the, the early ministries of the Corinthian church were leading the people not even to worship God himself. They were leading people to worship the goddess Diana. And so the goddess Diana, if you guys, those of you who sat in on the Revelation Bible study, uh, she was, was the goddess of sexual immorality. Uh, she was the, the goddess in which temples were resurrected in her name uh, that had stadium-like seating uh, that they would request of uh, men and women to explicitly, um, in a sexual manner, use their body uh, for sexual immorality in front of thousands of people. Um, and so um, we, we get our early stages of, of pornography usage, of voyeurism, um, from those from the earliest of churches, and it, it was all it's all stemmed from women. And so, I'm not saying that men couldn't lead in that in in a very poor direction in that way. But so he explicitly stated to the early church that women had had a specific place in that time uh, because of the nature of what was going on. Now, I want to address what you said because it did bring about uh, because of the sinful heart of man. It did bring out a, a, about a, a nature uh, of chauvinism in men. Uh, we are better than you, because it wasn't us who led the church in that way, right? And that can that can very easily be the case in churches today. I know personally of churches where women are not allowed to speak in in the church at all. Like they know nothing at all. Um, and that is a man's role. Uh, the women are to be silent. Um, Sure, I would argue a lot of things in that, anyways. But, um, yep. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Did somebody else have their hand up? Sure. Sure. Yeah. It is, it is a hot, a hotly debated topic in churches still uh, to this day. Um, and uh, I, I grew up in a church that was very much not entirely like what Kim was explaining earlier with the whole dress um, code type stuff, uh, but I grew up in a church where um, if it was not children's ministry or nursery, then the woman couldn't do it. Um, then they couldn't do it. And, you know, if, if I could just be real open with you guys this morning, um, I had a very skewed uh, understanding of Scripture from a very young age 
Um, but as I look back over what God has shown to me through my own studies and, and learning the original writings of the Bible and studying those out and what the words actually meant and coming to a truer understanding, uh, I look back over my life um, and I, I learned um, more from the Word of God uh, from my female Sunday school teachers and my catechism teachers and from my mother than I ever did a male pastor. I'm not saying that they weren't gifted or that God didn't call them into ministry, uh, but God used women more in my life to help me to understand the truth of God's Word. In fact, when I became a Bible student, my second year in Bible college, my favorite theology professor was a woman. Um, she had three PhDs and she was only 28 years old and she knew, like, I'm like, I want to be you one day. <laughs> like, you are way smarter than me and so I want to be that. Um, and, and so, you know, I believe um, that God can use um, whomever he sees fit. Um, that, that's just my opinion and what I see from the word of God. I saw a hand right here. Did you raise your hand? You, you want, no, okay. Sure. Yeah, and I, I want to add to that because um, there's a lot of things that I want to say. Um, I just want to I just want to make make this very clear. Um, just because um, they worship differently than we do um, doesn't mean that we are better than them. Um, Saint Augustine said, "In essentials." unity and, and non-essentials liberty but in all things charity in, in the essentials of the Bible what are what are the essentials of the Bible and then and then people want to get into the arguments of like well we see this is essential and you don't say right well what are the essentials salvation how do we get to heaven that that's an essential in the Bible okay how did we get to heaven right because if we have the wrong way then we are not going to heaven right like that's an essential of the bible you know in my opinion there are certain things that christ pointed out that were essentials there were essentials like following scripture that's an essential in in my opinion um but when it comes to areas um in the bible where there could be differing opinions i.e how the end times are going to play out how is that going to play? Like, when does the rapture happen? Is it before the tribulation? Is it in the middle of the tribulation? Is it at, right? So those are not essential to how I get to heaven or how the gospel is shared, how, how discipleship occurs. And so it's okay for us to have differing views and it shouldn't cause division or disunity amongst us uh, because it's a non-essential, right? So in essentials, unity. We're all united. In non-essentials, liberty. Like, it's okay if we, if, if we differ on that because it's a non-essential. But in everything, love. In all, in all aspects, charity. And so, um, thank you for, for bringing it up. Thank you for asking the question. I hope I didn't confuse you. If I did, sorry. Um, research it more yourself. If you have questions, you can actually go to wesleyan.org and there is a spot on there uh, where you can read uh, an entire 
um, synopsis as to why the Wesleyan Church um, uh, follows Scripture, especially in women in ministry. Um, but I'm going to just throw out this also as a side note. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Search it out yourself. <laughs> I'm not saying that they're wrong. What I'm saying is don't, don't take away, well, the pastor said if it's on the internet, it's true. Um, now, I want, us to, I want us to kind of take a step back for a moment. Um, and I want us, when, when, when we're in this life and there's something going on and we, we see somebody else choose to do something maybe differently than what we would, we must not assume sin um, or sinfulness in the life uh, of another being just because we suspect sin. We must not assume it um, because we are biased in our suspicions towards other people because we're sinful. And so when Paul wrote, uh, do not pronounce judgment upon uh, a brother or sister before the time, he was referring to a debate that was happening amongst the Christians in that time as to whether Paul or Peter or Apollos was the most authoritative apostle. That's what was a debate was going on here in Scripture in the church. And it doesn't explicitly tell us why they were fighting over such a thing. It doesn't. You know, all we know is that the church had a personal knowledge of those three individuals that God was using. And we tend also, church, we tend to judge leaders based on our observations and our experiences. Doesn't mean that our observations and our experiences are based on truth, but we have a tendency to judge them based upon those two things. And so whatever the factors were, certain Christians judged that Paul was uncharitable, and they called his ministry and his character into question in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And so he's rebuking the church, saying, don't judge the hidden things of man's heart. That's not your place. It is God's place. Now, we can understand this tonight. Why? Because we've all done that very thing. Every single one of us has done that. very. We've judged the hidden things of man's heart. And so we know how fast we can move from misunderstanding or disagreement to concern very quickly and then to, to suspicion and then even to judgment of that individual. So if we think we perceive smoke, we can too quickly assume that there's a fire even when there's not. And so for us as, um, as Christians in such cases, we have to remember Jesus' words. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment in John chapter 7. And so what then? It poses the question, what must we as Christians judge? What is it that we judge? Well, Christians must judge the explicitly sinful behavior of another professing Christian. That's what the, the Bible is very clear that we must judge explicitly sinful behavior in another professing Christian. Jesus said that a tree is known by its fruit in Matthew 12. So when do the hidden sinful purposes of the heart reveal themselves? Well, in a person's sinful behavior, an explicitly sinful behavior. And so that's why Paul didn't even have to be present when he passed judgment on the man who engaged in sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He instructed the Christians to pass judgment on him too in that same chapter. When we sin, Christian, church, when we sin, our brothers and sisters in Christ have an obligation to judge us. They have an obligation to judge us. In fact, I want to kind of unpack this. What does that word judge mean? 
because we all have a tendency to look at that word a little bit differently. Well, that word does not mean that we are to condemn the individual. So if you are a note taker, I want you to write down the word judgment means no condemnation. Okay? No condemnation, but they must, we must, out of love, call our brother and sister to repentance. No condemnation, repentance. Repentance. And so such judgment really is an act of grace when we call our brother to repentance. And it's an expression of God's kindness as we saw all the way back in Romans chapter 2. Right? God's goodness or God's kindness is what leads one to repentance. And we only compound our sin if we take offense to correction. We only compound our sin if we take offense to correction. So if our sin is very serious and our church determines that we must be disciplined according to Matthew chapter 18, then we must bear in mind that the purpose is to pursue our redemption, not our damnation. And so um, I don't know if anybody in this room has ever been a part of or witnessed a church discipline ever occur, like in the church setting. Anybody ever been a part of, of church discipline before? So Matthew chapter 18 tells us that if, if a brother sins against us, we are to go to him. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't change his way, uh, then we are to bring two or three witnesses along uh, for a second correction. And if he still doesn't, then Jesus says that we are to bring that individual before the church. That essentially, we, we are to bring him before the church to explain the sinful behavior and, and ask the individual for repentance. If repentance does not occur, then the Bible says to cast out the individual, meaning that they are no longer welcome in the church, this church setting, and I'll explain to you why. Jesus, Jesus allowed for many, many opportunities for the individual to uh, respond to the Holy Spirit conviction through the act of a, a professing Christian bringing about, not condemnation, but the act of leading one to repentance for the sake of their own soul and relationship with Christ. And he said, if they, if they will not, if they've gotten to the place where you've brought them before the church and they have still rejected repentance, then they're no longer, they, they no longer should be a part of the church body. Why? Uh, because that type of behavior uh, only grows. Weeds only grow uh, when they're allowed to sustain. Um, how many of you are gardeners? Right? One weed pops up, soon you're going to have two, and then four, and then eight. Why? Because they feed off of each other. And so if one person is, is allowed to not walk within the bounds in which Christ has given us uh, in, in the church body context, then all it does is cause disunity and division in the church. Even brings about derision, uh, which is even worse at times because of the acts uh, of one individual affecting the others around him. Now, that does not mean um, that church discipline is taken flippantly um, just because. Um, I, I uh, have been a part of a, a church where I, I did all of my counseling training, and they're a, they're a church of probably six or 8,000 uh, people on a Sunday morning, and uh, a multi-site campus. I think they have four or five campuses, and that lead pastor has been in his position since 1981. And um, I have been in services uh, while they're doing training where they have had individuals called to the platform 
uh, because they had been addressed by another. They had been addressed by two uh, members. They had been addressed by a pastor and a, a member of the board. Um, and they still, and it was blatant, blatant sin um, inside the church that was wreaking havoc. Um, and it's never a fun thing. It is a very somber, um, somber, um, and even cumbersome um, act. Um, it, it is not to be taken lightly, but he, he's saying um, there's possibilities in the church in which this could occur for the pursuit of redemption, not damnation of the individual. And so when, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry? Well, then I, then I would pray that your church's polity allows for the board and the body to remove that pastor. It does, absolutely. More than probably what you would care to think um, happens. Uh, I want to say that the Christian Research Institute released at the beginning of this year uh, that last year more than 1,500 pastors here in America uh, were removed from their positions because of impropriety. 1,500 here in America alone. I mean, there, there are some 300,000 churches uh, here in America, um, and they're saying that over the next five years, nearly 60% of those churches will be closed, and, and out of that number, they say 33 to 40% will be because of pastor impropriety or, or pastor unrepentance. So you're, out of 300,000 churches, you're, you're talking somewhere in the ballpark of twenty-five to 30,000 churches over the next five years because of that very thing. Churches don't recover, um, especially if there's nothing in place um, to keep the pastor accountable. Yeah. I love you, Terry. <laughs> uh, I don't think the one who's there with the mistress is going to be too concerned about the brother getting drunk. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully this, hopefully this answers that. When, when blatant sin is confirmed, Christians must lovingly judge Christians. But in most situations, we must be very slow to judge. And we must exercise great care and restraint. Because our sinful flesh has the hair trigger to judge somebody else. Uh, that's, that's just the, the, we have the propensity to judge other people uh, because we're sinful. Now, we must have a healthy suspicion of our own pride um, in the midst of those situations, and we must keep Jesus' words. And this is where I'm going to go back to judge not that you be not judged, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. And it's especially important because in many situations we face today, it's not as clear cut as what we see here uh, in, in Paul's day and age. And the examples that we give, and often the lines between judging the hidden um, purposes of man's heart and calling out sin, they almost look ambiguous. 
in our day, like in our setting, in the way that we, uh, we see. And so when it, when it is, um, it is best to be slow to judge um, in any circumstance, in any situation. Um, and the, the, whole, the whole element of, of what Jesus uh, brought up about, um, you know, pointing out the speck in our brother's eye and not addressing the log in our own, uh, that's what I believe Paul was talking about in, in addressing judgments cautiously. Um, is that um, I, I must ensure that I have the right intention, that my intention is that of redemption, not damnation or condemnation. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, go ahead, Penny. Right, that's what we were just talking about. Hold on, let me... Yeah, it's Galatians, it's Galatians 6, 1. Galatians 6, 1. Brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Yes, essentially. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. So... Well, it's easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. Let me just throw that out there. Yeah. Let's hope somebody who's, it's a spiritual, right? The spiritual one among you, correct in gentleness. And so, um, yep. So I would say if I, have, if I have recognized the sinfulness in another being and it's, it's brought to my attention, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life, I would seek counsel before I ever went to another person. Um, and, that's, and the reason why is because, right, he, he, says, he says, but use caution, right, lest you be tempted. Because what, what's the temptation? Well, hey, listen, I saw that you were doing this. What's the likelihood in our sinful nature to say, hey, your sinful act caused the Holy Spirit to convict my sinful act, and I just came because I want to shoulder this with you. Or that's not typically the way those conversations go. Like, typically, right? And, and I, I, would, I would just, I would say, I would use great caution. Um, I would use much, with accentuation, much caution. <laughs> much caution. Someone had a hand race. Yes. Yeah. Sure. So, um, I would, 
I would go as, as far as to say it's probably multifaceted. Um, I know that in church circles, um, since COVID uh, in 2020, so to, uh, almost three years ago um, now at this point, um, they've had more pastors who have committed suicide, attempted suicide, left their spouses, left ministry, churches have closed because of impropriety. And so I would say that a lot of it is not just a lack of accountability, uh, but I would say a lack of discipline in one's relationship with the Lord. I, I believe wholeheartedly, uh, and I, I think it's been a while since I've made this statement to you uh, as, a, as a church body, but I, I would say that um, when, when we're pursuing um, a deep relationship with the Lord, an intimate personal relationship with the Lord, um, the sinfulness in our lives becomes less and less. Not ever to the point of sinlessness, but the sin in our lives becomes less and less. Why? Because my desires are, are being changed into the desires uh, of the Lord. And so, um, you know, our pastor in, in Florida uh, used to, to say that we should be praying daily to have the taste buds of our heart changed. The taste buds of our heart. Um, and I was messing around, right? So I like to cook and I like to eat. Um, and um, though in my current state, it's not fun. Um, but one of my favorite things is when my wife or when I, or when I go to somebody's house and they've been cooking something in a crock pot all day long and the house is just permeated in that scent of whatever it is. My, my personal favorite is potato soup. When potato soup has been, has been cooking all day long and... It just permeates, right? So think about in our life, in, in, in I'm going to use the crock pot sense, right? So think about our life as a crock pot, right? Whatever we allow in and it stews, it's going to begin to permeate out of us. So if, if I'm not being, if I'm not stewing on the things of truth, well, what do you think is going to be stewing inside of me? Well, the works of the flesh. And what happens when the works of the flesh when there's, when there's no accountability and no discipleship and, and no intimate relationship with the Lord, well, what do you think is going to come out? Yeah. Have you ever had something burn in the crock pot? There's an awful smell. There's, there's an awful smell in the thing that, that is overstewed, right? And then it takes forever to clean it, and, right? So, it, Oh, stop. All right, let's, let's move on. Yeah, go ahead, and then we're going to move on. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yep. I think that's, that's back to what, you know, Terry was bringing up and what Penny brought up about, you know, addressing the speck in your brother's eye while well, you haven't addressed the log in your own. It's, it's ensuring that our, height, our heart sorry, is in the right place before we even address uh, the brother and sister. It's, it's making sure. That's why, that's why Paul pointed out the spiritual one. Let the spiritual one um, go to his brother and sister. So, yeah, go ahead. Sure. 
Now, as we're sitting here talking about um, the whole when to judge, when not to judge, I, I couldn't help as I was studying out this portion of Scripture, especially in regards to last week and looking at um, the Christian's responsibility towards our government. Um, you know, this topic here is very relevant uh, to the church here in America right now. Um, I don't know about you, but um, we are enduring probably some of the most confusing and degrading and discouraging times in church history outside of the Bible. And most of us recognize uh, what is at stake um, each time an election comes and each time another case goes before the Supreme Court and each time another rally is held about you know, something that, that they're fighting for this or they're fighting about that or, you know, I mean, we all understand and see it. But I, I like, I don't like to be doom and gloom, but like we, we see the ominous writing on the wall um, before us. Like we, we see it coming, we see it happening, and it tells really of a further and even faster erosion of, of our country and our nation's moral foundation, which has been really just crushed in the last several years, and really they're now attacking fundamental liberties here, not just at the, the city level or the state level, but now even at the federal level, and we all want to do our, our civic duty. I don't know about you, but I do. Um, every time I have an opportunity to use uh, my voice in a civilized, biblical manner, I do, um, but you know, sincere Christians um, strongly disagree over the best course of action on how to do that. Even in our society, um, sincere Christians do. And the, the difficult choice, uh, the difficult choices that we have to make and the long-term consequences of those choices uh, bind on a Christian's conscience. I don't know about you, um, but I, I, I study every single candidate every time there's an election. Um, Every single time, I want to know who I'm voting for or who, who is going to uphold to the best of, of their abilities the godly standard and the godly morals um, that I want to see. And, and for us, where sin is explicit, um, not just in, in, in the, this church setting, but where sin is explicit, especially even in politicians who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, we are to judge boldly but with loving clarity at the same time. So let us not judge other Christians' hidden purposes, especially if they disagree with us, but overall the best course of action uh, for us is to ensure that we're doing any sort of judgment with a right heart, and it's judgment that is explicit sinful behavior. Now, we may discuss and persuade somebody else, but we may not judge them because Christ is the judge. It's for him alone, like Paul said, to bring to light what is now hidden, and he will command and rebuke. But with, with all humility, Paul said, with all humility and gentleness and patience, we are to bear with one another in love. To bear with one another in love. And so uh, Paul talked about uh, the judgment seat of Christ and how we would all face the judgment seat. Now I want us to, um, if you're a note taker, I want you to write something down. Uh, the judgment seat in which Paul is talking about is what we would call the Bema seat. B-E-M-A, Bema seat. It's equivalent to the judge's seat in Olympic Games. 
It's the same mentality, right? After each game, the winner comes before the judge's seat to receive a crown for first and second and third place. And so the the Christian's work will be tested by fire and he will be rewarded for the things that remain. Uh, We studied that out in the book of Revelation. and, And Paul says, every knee will bow before Christ. And all he's doing is just quoting something from Isaiah 55 or 45 that emphasizes the fact that we all have to appear before God in humility and we must give an, an account of ourselves before him. And if this is the case, then we should let God deal uh, with our brother's hidden intentions or purposes of the heart. So look with me now at verse number 13. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to be a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother, verse 15, is grieved by what you eat, then you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy, oh, sorry, by what you eat, Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Stop right there at verse number 18. So in the Sermon on the Mount, all the way back at the beginning of Matthew, Jesus helps us to understand what this specific portion of Scripture means. It means that judging others according to the standard that we would not want to have applied to ourselves is this very thought. It does not take away the need and the responsibility for admonishment or rebuke as what we're called to do in Scripture. But when we admonish or rebuke, we do it over clear scriptural principles, never over doubtful things or over things that are not explicitly stated as sin. And now we offer advice to others about things not explicitly stated, but we should never judge them because they choose to do them. He says, though, to not put a stumbling block or or cause a fall uh, for our brother and sister. Now, we, we might stumble ourselves, or we might cause a brother to fall in one of two ways. I don't want you to miss this. We can discourage or beat down our brother through legalism, that's the first way. And the second, we can do it by, like, we can cause them to stumble and fall by enticing them to sin through an unuse, an unhealthy use of liberty. Those are the two ways that we cause our brothers to stumble and fall by legalism or by enticing them to sin. Those are the two ways. And Paul says, don't stumble each over these things, but don't destroy at the same time a, brother, uh, a brother's privileges. Uh, that they have. Now, Paul knew that there was nothing wrong intrinsically, uh, really unclean about meat uh, that was not kosher according to Jewish law um, or according to their, their um, eating customs or even meat that was sacrificed to idols. Paul didn't even address that specific uh, thing, but there was nothing that could justify the destruction of another brother or sister because of food. There's nothing at all that could cause justification for that. And so the issue is now, now is not my personal liberty, it's walking in love towards the one whom Jesus loved and died for, is what he's trying to address. And so if Jesus was willing uh, to, to give up his whole life for the sake of that brother that eats meat, or that brother who's a vegetarian, or that brother who, 
who thinks that, you know, the tribulation's going to be before the rapture. If, if he died for that person too, then I can certainly give up my steak dinner when the vegan comes to my house. Is really what Paul is saying. I can certainly give up my steak dinner because Jesus died for them too. You know, I um, don't share this often with people, but I grew up um, in a home that did not eat pork. Um, I, I, I ne- we never had it when I was a child. Uh, we just, it, it was just never something that was around. And um, some of that was because my family is Jewish and you would never, like, we just, we don't tell people that, but my family is Jewish. Uh, we have a long history of, of Jews in my family. In fact, uh, the church in Florida where I used to go, uh, where I was on staff, they used to call me rabbi. Um, and it, it was a joke, uh, but really it wasn't. Um, and, and so um, they used to make jokes about it until one day we were having this discussion, and um, they were all close to me. But the other pastors on staff at the church uh, would bring bacon, um, purposefully bring bacon in, and they would leave bowls of bacon on my desk before I would get there. And so my whole office would smell like fried pork. Um, and to them, it was like to us, it was a joking manner. But down the road, I got invited over uh, to my buddy Chad's house. Um, he was my mentor and one of my best friends. And before um, he fully knew that I did not grow up eating pork, he invited us over. And the only thing that he made uh, was pork ribs. And that was it. Um, that was the only meat that was there. And um, I, I, being nice and kind, I ate one small piece and that was it. Um, knowing that I, had, I have not had pork in and I'm, you know, I'm 30 years old, um, and I'm probably going to get sick because I just ate this one single piece of pork, right? And I did it anyways, and come back after the fact, and he was, he finds out that my family was Jewish, and that I, I like, it, when it was true, and he thought the whole thing was a joke, and everyone was always joking about it, and he came back and, and thought, oh my word, um, I just, I just caused a brother in Christ to, to do something that he would not have really done and it was this big ordeal and um, I I think about this very thing that so often um, it's one thing if you didn't know it's one thing if you didn't know that it was a problem for them right Um, but if it was explicitly stated and you you still did what you what you did and it could cause your brother to stumble um, it's like a heinous crime in in the eyes of God we must use great great caution uh, because we're, we're called to pursue a higher calling as a Christian. We're, we're called uh, to, to be okay with our brother or our sister being in a different place than us spiritually. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does it explicitly state ever uh, that we all have to be in the same spiritual place at the same exact time. Um, in fact, that's not even possible. Humanly speaking, it's not even possible. And so... Um, you know, we, we, must, we must use our liberty. Uh, I believe this is in Galatians as well. Paul said we shouldn't use our liberty for our own personal gain. And so our liberty in Jesus and our freedom from the law is good, but we shouldn't use it to destroy another brother or sister who, um, who is quote-unquote weaker in the faith than us. And if we do that, then Paul said you are spoken of as evil, that you're doing the very, the very antithesis of what Christ calls us to do. 
And so if we place food and drinks before righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, then we are hopelessly out of touch with God's priority in his heart. And so serving God with a heart of righteousness and peace is really what's acceptable in the sight of the Lord and will be approved uh, by men. And so look now at verse number 19. Look at verse number 19. He says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, in verse 22, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, if eating and drinking, if, if eating or drinking something will, will stumble another brother or cause another brother to stumble, then we are not free to eat and drink in that specific circumstance at all. Even if we have the personal liberty to do so, we do not have the liberty to offend or weaken another brother or sister in Christ. And so Paul will concede the point that there is nothing impure in the food itself, but he, he likewise insists that there is nothing pure in causing a brother to stumble either. And so we shouldn't think that Paul would permit the kind of heart to cater to someone else's legalism, but he's speaking about the stumbling of a sincere heart not catering to the whims of someone else's legalism. And so when Christians from the Jewish background were offended that Gentile believers were not circumcised, Paul wouldn't cater to that type of legalistic behavior, but he concludes this entire section on the principle of faith. He says, if you have, have faith and you feel liberty to partake in certain things, then praise God. You feel liberty to take in, partake in those things. But if your faith before God causes a brother to stumble, then it's not of God at all. And so he's you know, blessed or happy in some versions, I believe it says, is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. And so not every Christian knows that type uh, of blessing or that type of happiness or, or maybe joy. Uh, there are things that God may challenge each and every one of us to give up, but we go on approving them in our lives. And when we do that, we are condemning ourselves, is what Paul is saying. And so it, it may not be that the thing itself is clearly good or bad, but it's enough that God speaks to us about the matter. And so in our cases, each one of us must ask, God, what is there in my life that's hindering me from a closer walk with you? What is it? And it goes back to what uh, was stated earlier uh, tonight um, that everything is lawful, but not everything is good or beneficial to us. And so every those things that are not explicitly stated, the, and I hate to use this term, but the gray areas of Scripture, if they're not explicitly stated, then I should ask God, is this beneficial to, to making me closer to you in your walk? And if the answer is no, then, then we should avoid those things. Uh, I want to know the happiness that I have comes from not condemning myself by what I have approved by my life up to the standard of what God has. And so it takes faith because we often cling uh, to the hindering things because we think that it brings happiness into our life. We think that it does. In fact, real happiness is, is found 
by being closer and closer to Jesus and not condemning or being condemned by what we approve in this life. And so whatever is not a faith, Paul says, is sin. And so he concludes yet on another principle here for us by which we can judge the quote-unquote gray areas. If it is not a faith, it is sin. If it's not a faith, it is sin. You know, it's a wonderful check on our tendency to justify ourselves to the things that we permit in this life. And if we were troubled by something, then I, I would go as far as to say it's likely not a faith if we're troubled by something. And I really just want to kind of close, um, I want to kind of close with this. I want to go back and kind of address, um, I want to address two things um, that Kelly brought up earlier. All right, so I asked the question, you know, what are, what are some things that uh, people um, debate about? whether or not it's permissible or, or whether we shouldn't do it or not. And she, she mentioned two specific things, right? Drinking was one of them, um, and then she threw out marijuana, right? So I want to just address those two pieces and then maybe anything else that would fall into that category. So um, the Bible does not explicitly state that we shouldn't drink alcohol. It doesn't explicitly state that. Um, it does not explicitly state that we shouldn't smoke leaves that are grown from the ground. Um, there are those Christians who would even argue, hey, he gave it to us in plant form. Um, and there, there would be that argument. Um, I, would just throw out, I would just throw out this, and, and this is not, um, listen, if you, if you drink, um, I'm not condemning you, okay? Um, in fact, some of our uh, greatest friends are social drinkers, um, and... Um, if you're not convicted to give up alcohol, then you're not convicted. Um, that's, that's totally cool. But I, I will just make this statement. Um, though scripture does not explicitly state um, drinking um, of any kind, uh, or even smoking marijuana of any kind, um, scripture does explicitly state uh, that we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if we alter the chemicals in our brain physically, from a scientific perspective, uh, we are no longer in 100% control of our being. Um, Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit that only comes through God Himself. And so if we're altering uh, the very way in which we were created in any nature, it doesn't matter what it is, in any nature at all, uh, we are explicitly performing sinful behavior against what was commanded, and that is to walk with the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. I cannot be filled with the Spirit and be walking in sinful flesh at the same It's not possible. It doesn't mean the Spirit's not dwelling in me, but it's not possible to be doing the will of God while I'm explicitly sin- sinning. And so... What I mean, and the reason I'm saying this to you is not because if there's anyone in here who likes to have a glass of wine with their dinner, then you should be condemned. No, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this because the scripture uh, oftentimes uh, will bring about in a different location uh, something else that pertains to other things in scripture. That's the beauty of scripture, right? That's the beauty of the connectivity of the Old and the New Testament, there are nearly 70,000 portions of Scripture that are connected in some way to another portion of Scripture in the Bible. 
And so uh, just because he didn't explicitly state it in this one portion doesn't mean that it's not addressed somewhere else uh, to the Christian. And so I just wanted to go back and, and kind of add to what you said, and I appreciated that you brought that up. Now, it is 7.45. We have 15 minutes left, and I'm going to ask us to do something tonight. Last week, we got into groups, and we prayed. And this week, I'm going to actually ask us uh, to not get into such large groups, but maybe to pray with one or two other people. Maybe the person sitting next to you. And I want us to pray specifically for a few things tonight. There are a few things that were addressed here in Scripture. One, um, and then you don't have to use my exact words, but I'm, I'm going to just throw these out there for ideas uh, to help you to pray. I don't have anything to hand out to you, but the very first thing, um, right out of the gate in chapter 14, um, it, I, I, w- I would encourage us to pray asking God to forgive us uh, when we have looked at another brother or sister who was weaker in the faith and judged them in some way. Uh, when we've looked at them like a Pharisee looked at uh, anyone who didn't follow the quote-unquote rules. That would be the first way, to seek the Lord and say, God, please forgive me if, if, I, if I've done this. Or maybe an example has already come to you in your head of a time when that occurred. That's the first thing. The second thing um, was that we would bear um, in love with those um, who make different choices than we make uh, that are not explicitly sinful choices. That, the second, that we would be a people of love. And uh, last, last but not least, um, that we would be example setters um, in our, our workplaces, in our homes, in our communities, um, in our neighborhoods, whatever it is, uh, that we, we would be uh, the ones um, that people look to to see Christ, to see a picture of Christ. Um, those would be the three things that really the Lord was kind of bringing to light as I was studying this and going back through this. And so um, we have 15 minutes. Um, if you guys just want to break, start breaking up, and like I said, one to two, uh, two people, um, and then I'll close us in prayer here in just a moment.